All right, we should be live now. So um, it's always nice to be able to uh, be back on the show with Annie and Naomi. We're doing this live. So one of the things I forgot to do was put on my headphones. So I'm gonna do that now, folks. Um, a little bit of levity for a um, for a show that um, is covering an important topic, which was um, our experiences around COVID-19 or how we framed it. Uh, hindsight is 2021 commentary on the COVID-19 tales. So um, hopefully you all had an opportunity to listen to our last episode, um, which was Tales from the COVID-19 Frontlines. And it was a long one, uh, but we thought it was important to share it as it was. And now we're going to have an opportunity to be able to just comment and give some of our feedback on the episode. But before we begin, I'd like to say that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Talk Public Health, our sponsors, supporters, or employers. And of particular importance to this episode, persons should take official advice from their local health authorities and government around COVID-19. So with that out of the way, um, Naomi, Ari, how are you all doing? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually good to hear you with the disclaimer. I missed that part, but that's good. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well, actually. And uh, Annie, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. Still working in public health since that last episode. So, yep, still going. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think it's important to have a little bit of humor to start off the episode. Um, and 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 uh, as we were going through reflecting on some of the comments that came through, um, uh, Annie, you had pointed out a quote that Naomi would have shared, uh, which was, imagine if we had to work from home for the next four months or something, <laughs> right? When we were filming, when we were, were yeah. recording that episode. Um, so yeah, have we been working from home uh, <laughs> since that last episode? Um, and like, what has this meant for us in terms of some, uh, I guess, working habits, working um, policies? I'll throw it out to you too. I mean, I would say really going back to that uh, particular episode and reflecting at this point, as you mentioned, Charles was really extremely funny because next, actually from Monday, it's already going to be a year since people were sent home or like we started working from home. So uh, I meant when we talked about it, we talked about opportunities for better work, work about policies around like remote work, working from home, work-life balance. And you know, in the beginning of uh, the pandemic, it was really different. Like for me, it was like about being on the go. And since you felt like you're at home, it's like, okay, we can do this. Like you're still working. And after a while, there was now time for you to be like, okay, how do I make my office hours <laughs> while I'm at home and still have a normal life? Because it kind of just took over everything. But I don't know what experience you had with it. Like any for you, I think you were mostly in at home in the bunker that time. So how was it for you? What are your reflections? Yeah, well, I wasn't really working from home. I was still going into work. So as you said at the beginning, it was the bunker. And then 
became a little bit more relaxed, but it was still the public health response branch. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess I kind of didn't have that same experience of working from home that many other people did, but I did enjoy having fewer people on public transport, that was for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, had the opportunity to also um, work from home um, and now heading back into like hybrid slash full, well, actually now I'm in office every day uh, during the week. Um, and it definitely had its pros and cons. I, I, I think that um, I like segmenting parts of my life. So I don't like doing work in my room. I don't like doing work um, at home if I don't need to. And I did find, find that it was difficult to try and separate some of those barriers mm -hmm. um, and boundaries on uh, work-life balance. And I know that a lot of people, you know, they've shared articles where they feel like um, their work-life balance has kind of deteriorated because they mm -hmm. found that they're putting out more, but it's also because they're also putting in more hours and also um, people not knowing, hey, maybe don't schedule this meeting, you know, just because we're connected doesn't mean you have to call me at 7 a.m., mm -hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. Or even nine, like 9 p.m. or something. Yeah. Yeah. But Charles, you brought up a good point in terms of the boundaries. And I think that's that comes in two ways. So first of all, we went from this culture that employers don't trust you to that you will be like very productive at home to the point that where it's like, okay, I'm working too much then I, because before I would go to the office and I give my eight hours and I go home. But now there's no limits. And... And of course, work will never, a friend of mine told me this and I really appreciate that. He was like, work will always be there. So whether you work from today to tomorrow, there will always be work. So you have to prioritize putting those boundaries and like, no, I would not take a meeting at 7 a.m. because I start my day at 9 or something like that or, or at 10 p.m. because <laughs> it's the end of the day. I have time to do my own things. So really, I think what we have learned from that is that in as much as we have now embraced this culture that would encourage flex time because of course you could be productive more actually it's also about how do you set your boundaries and don't feel guilty about it that no because that's another thing people are guilty like okay i should really do this because i'm not i'm at home so but no it's your work time it's still the work time mm -hmm. agreed yeah. agreed with that so um, it's also i guess on the flip side of some also just talking to some other friends recently who are um, in parts of the world where there are curfews and they actually have very strict boundaries put on their work and life right because they actually have to leave work by a certain time in order to get home before the, the curfew hits so they're actually not being able to dictate their work-life balance in that kind of way which um, is an interesting other perspective yeah. Over this whole thing as well. Yeah. I mean, with all of that. Sorry about that, Naomi. Yeah. 
go on. No, no, no. I was just saying it's the whole different spectra to things. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. We can't have like an encompassing view. It's just good that this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a point Charles mentioned that. Okay, are we going to start looking at flex time? Like, yeah. and also like remote working. And of course, this is the new re reality, and it's a new culture we are building. So they're different perspective, and the point is how do we better uh, make it convenient and, and comfortable for for people. So you have to kind of. No, be aware of those boundaries, be aware of what works for you best and communicate it as well. So kind of yeah. that's the new culture. We are moving into the new culture of work and it's we'll see how it progresses. I agree with that. So now we're going to pivot into another um, topic. We uh, quoted some um, a paper um, around I did the timestamp was around 39 minutes into the episode where we talked about COVID-19 will give public health the voice it needs. Do we think that happened? Do we believe that um, that's that's true? Um, I, I just let's just talk around that topic. I mean I don't want to be the one to start because <laughs> this is quite like a very interesting link for me. So I would say, Annie, you've been the one that has been really on the front line of this topic. So what was your opinion about that right now? I think it's probably quite varied depending on where in the world you are. So here in Australia, I mean, definitely a lot more people know who epidemiologists are and what they do um you know like it, that, that's become a household term now and i like the fact that now with the whole sort of vaccine rollout people are starting to appreciate as well the vaccination aspect of public health as well and people are learning a lot about contact tracing about incubation periods you know just a lot of um concepts that maybe we take for granted in public health that um the you start realizing that, that the public are actually only beginning to learn so that that's what it's like in australia but i know that there are lots of places around the world where public health has sort of been blamed for many things and the view is a lot more negative so it'd be interesting to hear what what your experiences have been I think if I had to add commentary to this, I believe the pandemic has given public health a voice. I don't think the voice has been unified. Okay. I think that um, there have been some good wins in terms of people recognizing the importance of public health practice, the importance of strong health systems, mm -hmm. the importance of social safety nets and broadening the conversation of seeing how health how public health is connected to all aspects of society you mm -hmm. cannot have a strong economy without strong public health systems and measures in place you cannot uh, um, take for granted uh, the importance of social safety nets in ensuring that people's health and well-being are connected however I feel like, um, uh, and there's the cynic 
and may and also the political dilemma we know that um at least from what i've observed there's been this this pandemic is um coming at a time where there's a lot but have been a lot of political um challenges being brought forward and um i know that we had mentioned in a comment uh a quote from simon rushton at sheffield talking about that there's nothing more political than health but um i i i just feel like we're at a place now where i feel like there there's a good segment of the population that appreciates what public health practitioners are doing but mm -hmm. um there's also some segments of the population that are um turning public health practitioners into villains yeah. um mm -hmm. there is the vilification the hyper partisanship mm -hmm. around uh um, public health issues um and this whole balance of what do we communicate how do we communicate it and when do we admit that we are have done some things right and some things wrong acknowledge where people's cynicism is at and that it's important for us to be able to adjust systems to improve public health action so i i think that public health will continue to be a, a strong front-facing uh uh area for at least the next two years um in terms of all of the commentary around COVID 19 but um i don't know if it has the voice that we the positive voice that we imagine it to have that sounds a bit cynical <laughs> well, my... yeah, but uh charles you 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 know diplomatically address this and i really like when you approach this in a very diplomatic way and it's 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 a good point you started with the not being unified and it just brought me back to some time in was it october or november where we had those two uh really different statements from the public health community i don't know if you read the the great barrington declaration followed by the john snow declaration really from the scientists opposing uh so i think the great barrington declaration was saying like oh yeah we don't need all these measures and just that's a simplification of it and please don't quote me i think you should read it and then the the john snow one was like no we need to go forward with this the public health community believes in this so i would say like people should read this and see that that already stared up a kind of like why is the public community uh, community coming up with two different views and of course we are scientists and we know that everybody works based on evidence and we can't just go by like what we feel but it's it has to be backed and during the beginning of the pandemic there was a lot of resources coming out there like papers about covid so there was kind of staring up <laughs> different uh, directions and that was maybe one of the things that made us come out as not united and maybe staring up doubts again in people but more on the uh, point you mentioned about people talking about uh, how people are going forward and seeing us as villains like you could see from the protests that started emerging from the COVID measures and people saying okay this uh, virus is not even that like if you look at all the virus that has occurred along the history of humankind they're even more um 
will I say, more deadly viruses. So why are we going for all these measures? Like now we talked about the politicization of the virus. Like did we, were we equipped enough to engage with like politicians and air our own like opinions as scientists that we are and public health people or did we get played around? You know, like, so those, all those kind of things. And, and, and I, I guess the summary of the story is that one thing that I've, I've realized that we need to go forward with this pandemic. As you said, the public health will continue be being like an important part and people will continue to realize how important it is. But we have to go forward embracing a skill mix future for public health. So like knowing how to engage, knowing how to be prepared, whether it's economic topics, whether it's political topics, whether it's communication, we have to go forward in that dimension. Otherwise, we will just sit down and be like, okay, just come and do your lab stuff. We have the data. And then somebody else takes it over. And this is where I see like, are we really making the best use of our voices? You know, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, but that, that's my two cents about this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I, why don't we delve into a, um, <laughs> into another um, uh, um, issue. It's talking about testing. <laughs> and this is probably yeah. one of those yeah. uh, areas that um, the a unified voice probably wasn't heard. Um, I uh, talked about how people were um, saying, why aren't we testing everyone, right? Why aren't we testing everyone to see who has uh, COVID-19? And I know that there uh, were some realities that we talked about at that time. Um, I wanted to explore, are those realities still the same? And um, do we think that we do need to be testing everyone? Maybe that's a question to come up now um, at this point. So I'll leave the floor open for anyone to chat. Uh, then I'll add commentary as well. Uh, I would say, should we be testing everyone? That's still a question in my head. Well, but the time we recorded it, and now if we, I think, Annie, I will let you emphasize on this because you spoke about the reagents and possible shortage of resources in testing. But now that that seems no longer to be a problem, should we still be testing as we are? Because what some of the issues that have, have come up is like, okay, people are now getting tested in some areas while some areas don't even have still access. So we talked about access resources, and this has also moved from testing to the COVID vaccines itself. So now we're also having another problem with access again. So we were at the beginning, it was access to tests, and now it's access to COVID vaccines. And you can see how countries, and this is the going to the political side of it again, it's like, okay, you're on your own. Like, we're going to get the vaccines for our people. So there's now, like, an extreme nationalism coming up. But, yeah, before I go into that, I will hand it over to Ali because, yeah, you, you really approached this uh, testing topic last time. So, Well, since last time, a year ago, I have realized just how spoiled I am to be working in a developed country with so many resources that can be thrown at public health crises. I really underestimated what could be done. <laughs> um, at, at the time I thought, okay, we're running out of reagent, you know, we, we probably have, and there's a lot, and at the time, there's a lot of demand for testing, but our testing policy was that we only test symptomatic people 
who fit certain high risk criteria. But I guess one other thing that I learned is that case definitions can change rapidly over time as well. And now a year later, we have done so much testing here in New South Wales in Australia. So our state of New South Wales um, has 7.5 million people. We have now done almost 5 million tests. <laughs> It's a mind-boggling number of people being tested and every single day um, for the last, at least the last six months, if not more, our health leaders have stood in front of the cameras every single day encouraging people to go and get tested and um, our sort of strategy is centered around the fact that we are getting lots of testing done so we can detect even one case in the community and we can just stamp that out as quickly as we can and so testing has been really essential to how well we have done um but obviously we can access that and it's not a strategy that has been available to everyone around the world and it's hard for me to to sort of comment from a privileged position sometimes is um, how I feel about it. No, I I think that you bring up a valuable point, um, Annie, because I think that uh, we've seen where some countries have really done well in terms of testing. Um, I think you bring up a few points. One is the capacity to test. Mm -hmm. So whether that's human resources, the reagents or whatever, what exactly is the test? Is it RT-PCR? Mm -hmm. Is it rapid antigen? What type of rapid antigen? <laughs> um, and then there is the affordability and access to testing. Uh, whether this is a public health measure by case definition, or in this case now with there's travel as well that's happening, mm -hmm. although not as much as it was pre-pandemic, travel is still going on. And I know that um, in the Bahamas, at least, I can um, uh, say that our numbers based on testing show that the um, uh, outbreak here is under control. There are some hot spots being, like some small spikes that are being detected in some communities. And so there's leveraging some of those restrictive measures to try and control that. Um, but we, we still don't have good access let me rephrase that. We do not have affordable access to testing. Um, a lot of the testing um, that is free is done by contact tracing, and that's if it's reported to the public health authorities here. But if you um, are not within the case definition, you need to go pay. Uh, an average COVID-19 RT-PCR test can range anywhere from 150 to 200 and something dollars in the Bahamas. And if you use minimum wage as a as an amount per week that's 210 dollars per week wow. minimum wage so you're talking about someone's weekly salary mm -hmm. to yeah. access testing privately 
Mm. And so um, I, I, I just feel like this challenge that we have here, um, there are some that argue that once you reach a certain exponential threshold with disease spread, testing becomes irrelevant. Containment becomes the issue. That's what some have argued in terms of uh, uh, um, early on in the pandemic, if you were doing rapid testing and trying to get people tested and you could have a better control, but with spread of disease being exponential, what's the point in that now? Um, trying to stick to the case definition is one thing, but in a country like the Bahamas that's an archi that is archipelagic in nature, where you really can have isolation because based on island communities, you're having people who haven't been to their own island, their home island away from family members because they need to take a flight or a boat and they need to take an RT-PCR test. So what does that mean? Um, I, I can only speak for that context and I can only imagine if it's costing this much here, what it might mean for other countries, other regions. And um, I think this, that this brings up this whole importance around equity and distribution of the vaccine yeah. is going to be a way to try and close some of this gap in terms mm -hmm. of access to testing, because clearly the t testing is only one component mm -hmm. of this whole picture. Uh, sorry, we talked a lot about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe let's maybe let's jump to. Um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other points that we had there. Um, I mean, Charles, one of the points we had actually gearing into the, the test from the test and gearing into the next phase, which you mentioned, is the COVID vaccine. So mm -hmm. now that you were just talking about it, I was reflecting and it's like we we actually are not really learning because at the beginning it started with like testing and everybody was like trying to find the test kits and the and now we're going to COVID vaccines that have been that we all knew that the vaccine was gonna come at some point, but yeah. nobody even, yeah, but, and still now the same case, like countries are like, yeah, we would have, but a collaboration, no, we go get the vaccine. So to some extent, what like, I would just like us now, I know like, we didn't really uh, talk about this point, but how do you think we could make this better? Because it's like, we had the testing issue and now the next step is the vaccine. So. How well are we going to lend the best measures to promote equity and redistribution of like of resources surrounding health? Because we still we're doing the same thing technically. Mm -hmm. oh, this is difficult. Yeah. Do you want to chime in, Annie? Because I can like. Well, I, I guess to me, it definitely still just feels like it's in each for their own kind of a situation, right? Like mm -hmm. your your country will just be responsible for its own people and mm -hmm. we won't care about anyone else. So we, we need to get ourselves under control and all our resources go towards us. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think here we talk about other countries when they introduce new cases to us and that's about it <laughs> yeah that's that's rather interesting um, yeah i'm going to talk about this from a um solid because i said in closing out that episode 
it would be a disservice to all the lives that have passed away if we don't learn from the lessons mm -hmm. of the beginning of the pandemic and how we communicate to people and we're taking mm -hmm. a solidarity approach to addressing this pandemic and um i still i still feel like we're doing a uh, disservice um mm -hmm. we i'm saying collective we the global community we yeah. <laughs> um there's a significant shortage in terms of access to vaccines i saw an image and i um for those of you who are i guess listening so not watching us live i'm gonna see see if we can find that um photo and like share on our social media channels mm -hmm. you're, you're you're talking about like some regions of the world might not get the, va the uh, vaccine until like q2 of 2022 through 2023 yeah right? Mm -hmm. We're in 2021, right? Q1 here. I saw a graphic that showed where some uh, global North countries, mm -hmm. several global North countries have enough vaccines purchased mm -hmm. to vaccinate their population three to five times Thanks. over. Mm -hmm. What is the purpose for stockpiling that much <laughs> vaccines? That you need I really to like you bring this point. Right? Mm -hmm. That you need mm -hmm. to vaccinate your population two no, no yeah it, yeah it wasn't two times over it was like yeah yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it was somewhere up to like you i don't get it at the end of the day you need for um, you need twice your population yes right yeah. like yeah. like like what's the purpose of holding on to all of these vaccines yeah. you said this that you need your economies to operate economies will not operate unless you have both global north and global south countries being able to participate in the markets that you promote so much and they cannot participate in those markets unless they have access to vaccines and affordable vaccines exactly. um, uh, um, i will bring up something and i don't expect for you all to have to talk about it i was so surprised when i saw canada uh um, procuring vaccines through the covax uh um facility that was supposed to be a like equity based facility especially for low to uh, um, middle income countries to be able to access the COVID-19 vaccine Canada has the opportunity to be able to access vaccines uh, um, via multiple different sources I did not see why they needed to uh, procure vaccines from that particular portal and for me that felt like such a and this is my personal opinion, persons. Uh, I felt like, like it was an, an attack on solidarity as an issue, right? Like, like right, that wasn't the purpose of that facility mm -hmm. in my mind, because you also, you're one of those countries that has enough vaccines to vaccinate your population several times over. So why are you, anyway? I think it right. tells you actually, like, I know if you want to talk about this, will be a whole episode about the different, but like, parts of the whole vaccine discourse you talk like the, the the stockpiling it's the pricing issue it's also like an interesting thing about like okay if we have a pricing issue should the COVID-19 vaccines patent be allowed like well, what about the patenting of, of the vaccine you know I saw that and I was like okay this is like a different dimension all these discourses are going and maybe we need an episode for that but moving forward I think a nice segue to this and just um you can also uh, correct me or come back to another topic. It's about uh, how you 
picked on solidarity and communication and how people should be more, I know I said it wrongly last time, I hope I got it like more empathetic to each other. And now going forward, there is now the still fear in people and there's an me versus you. Like people are beginning to see themselves as germs to each other. And mm. I don't know what role we did, like the, the, how we, the public health community communicated that it got to that point. Like I was walking the other day and this is like several experiences I had. And this woman really preferred to hug like some dirty background thing than walk next to me. And we're both wearing like a mask. And and this is not like maybe an issue of racism that people will see because it happened again. Like people are like, don't touch me, like shouting or screaming, like, don't you dare enter the lift with me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> how are we moving from not only this pandemic to like a new society that is not sociable? Like, is that another Pandora's box we are opening? And like, yeah, what do you guys think? Or how didn't we communicate this in the best way? <laughs> or yeah. Oh gosh, the communication aspect of it, it would also be another episode on its own. I don't think we've really touched on it at all. And yeah, it's something that exactly. we really wanted to talk about today. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you that so many things that aren't quite right, people are now just doing in the name of COVID as well. Like it's not just, it's it's not just the sort of isolation solidarity, but you know, just the other day I was in this uncomfortable situation where I saw some guy record these teenagers who weren't wearing masks. So we were all sitting on the train together, and he just got out his phone and just kept on recording the fact that they weren't wearing masks. And I'm going, look, dude, you know, like you you want to. You, you want to report them to the authorities, sure, but it's actually still not right to just record strangers on public transport. Like, uh, that's not allowed, but he seems to think that he can do it because it's for public health. And, mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's just so many rules get broken for, for COVID. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, huh, I just feel like this is a clear breakdown in um, risk communication patterns and how and trust right between the people who are having health provided to them and those who are communicating the health issues and I know that it there was this balance with having to communicate a sense of urgency in terms of how to avoid the transmission of COVID-19. But now it has become an stigmatizing um, issue. Uh, I had COVID-19, I was ill. I tell people that I had COVID-19. People get shocked. I'm mm. like, I had it, I got sick. It was pretty terrible, but I'm better now. Um, and I think that if we would have more of these conversations, right, mm -hmm. around the issue, that would help. That's the first bit. Yeah. The second bit is um, I think that we're still living in, in, because we're living in emergency situations, a lot of the world is still living in emergency situations. You're treating everybody as an enemy combatant. 
when you <laughs> are living in emergency situations. And so this shows the importance and it comes right back to the whole thing, the importance of solidarity and how we deliver the vaccines because we will continue to live in emergency situations where people continue to see people as enemies <laughs> to my yeah. health if yeah. we cannot get this thing sorted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had more points, but I can't. Uh, I kind of want to pivot to this because I yeah. think that I think it's, it's important. Mm -hmm. Communication and racism around like COVID nineteen. Um, we began. We we touched on it around the naming of the vaccine, and in terms of the virus. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the virus. The name yeah. of the virus, right? And its impacts on people, communities, and groups. Um, has that gotten any better since then? Um, and I, would, I also want to talk about other naming issues. I would say yeah. that hasn't really got, I wouldn't say it hasn't really gotten any better because then if you see with the strains, yeah, and that's what COVID. I was going to say. It started becoming like the COVID strain from South Africa, the COVID strain yeah. from Brazil. And then all of a sudden it's like, don't let South Africans near us. Like, don't let, like, so I have. Yeah. So we, and that's the thing that I asked previously, are we actually learning or like, are we just repeating things? Like, that is like something I'm battling with. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, this just happened a few months ago. And yeah, it's like, we're just... Yeah, Adi, sorry to cut you short. No, 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 I was going to say the same thing. And I was going to say, well, instead of calling the UK strain, what have we come up with? We've come up with B117. And it's like, well, who's going to remember yeah. that in the public, right? Like, why, why can't we be yeah. better with just coming up with good names as well? Exactly, exactly. Thank you. That, that was definitely one of the points I wanted to like touch on. Yeah, and, and I also had something to add, but you were talking about um, the naming, uh, Charles, and I think it, it, it skipped my mind, but coming back to this whole point on um, the gaps and like vac like vaccine and moving forward, I, I would say, and racism and the rest, and you mentioned about moving how we we take this forward it's also to put the point on the kind of gaps we are creating and now we have people looking at each other as germs but then we also have like countries that might like we are closing access and i don't know really fully about this vaccine passport discourse and i and how is that going to help us move forward and is it actually the best way to go? Because then you're really shutting off a whole continent. So let's say, supposedly, Africa does not get COVID vaccine to 2023. Are we trying to say that till 2023, Africans cannot visit like Europe? Also, those kind of things. I mean, we need to really think, what are we doing? And is that, the, so how is that solidarity? How is that? So, and, and, and you see, and this is like a normal discussion people are having and I'm like, how can this even be a discussion? You're blocking up the world. And like, oh, is this, and then this brings me back to the point on the political like influences. Uh, is this just feeding into some political agenda or how are we uh, like, and this is something we need to think about. We can't just be like sitting down jam and be like, oh yeah, how do we better fit into this discourses that are happening? You know, it's, it's like. I am going to, um, 
we'll try to say this if we can talk for maybe just five more minutes and then wrap yeah. up. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with you. Um, well, try to get these points quickly. One, um, I think if we keep repeating the mistakes um, of understanding where people's fears and cynicisms are at, we're going to continue mm -hmm. to have this challenge. This conversation around the uh, around the vaccine passports does not help the vaccine campaign related uh, um, <laughs> issues around the world. The talks about COVID-19 strains in basis of country of origin does not help with mm -hmm. travel and opening up borders to oh. people. <laughs> and 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 not talking about the geographic and racial disparities and how the um, the virus control is being handled. We, I think we've done some things right. We talked about social distancing in that episode, but not changing that term to say physical distancing, in terms of being near people, because that word just just a slight change in terminology changes how people view something. You shouldn't be socially yeah. distant from people. You should be physically distant to avoid the transmission yeah. of yeah. of viruses. And I think we just need to begin to think. Are these things being done in tandem? Where is the plan? And how do we communicate it in a way that the public doesn't think that everything is a secret globalist cabal uh, <laughs> coming together yeah, exactly. to try and, uh, rule the world, right? Yeah. I'll, I will leave it at that. Um, any other final comments as we try to like wrap up? <laughs> And I feel like like we might need to um, to have another episode, maybe even if it's a bonus episode, because there's a lot yeah. of things we did not get to talk about. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Charles, you you really rounded it up with this. Yeah, how do we align the messages so that people really? It's this element of trust and belief, right? Or like all this whole because there's a lot of hawks out there, and the hawks is easily like as like you could easily relate <laughs> so and then we need to get to that point that our communication is also simple for people to understand so how do we beat that but uh, i i think one of the quest like things that keep bugging my, my mind I, I was reading this book and i think i shared it with you guys in the past week like COVID 19 the great reset and uh, <laughs> that's has got me thinking like okay it could be reset in different ways we are seeing <laughs> more collaborations we are seeing but still there are some things that as we mentioned we are not learning so do we and this is a question for our audience to kind of think about do we really think COVID-19 is a great reset and, and great reset towards what a better society or society that is distant again or like the, so we need to actually think about what does that mean for us yeah a reset to what I think yeah, exactly. is important. And um, I'm not gonna bring in another term here, but I would encourage people to do some reading on infodemics because we didn't mm -hmm. get to speak about that because that's what yeah. we're facing right now, a mm -hmm. pandemic paired with an infodemic and how do we True. just branch that, branch public health practice with, com with communications and they shouldn't be separate. That was sure. the whole way. Like I phrased it that way, <laughs> and it's supposed to be one and the same. Mm -hmm. <sighs> okay. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show. Um, um, uh, we know that um, we hope this idea, like in this format, with us doing the live episodes, the video component, and the audio component, um, the podcast uh, audio will go up 
sometime next week, so the week of March 1st. Um, so if you want to wait until then or you're listening, it is there. Just give us a follow, give us a like, leave us a review on those podcast channels because it really helps in terms of the algorithm and people being able to find the podcast and hear a bit more. And we hope that we're continuing to build more trust with you and putting out content regularly that you enjoy. Um, anything else? And on that, if there are particular topics that you really want to hear, mm-hmm. please let us know as well. So um, we're, we're very open to engaging with all of you. So um, yeah, give us suggestions and we'll see what we can do to accommodate. Yeah, definitely. And we look forward to our next episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Take care, everyone. Enjoy bye. your day. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, night. In my case, bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>